0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. It's
3: Groundhog Day!
2: And I'm Jim Russ. Should I keep yes, doing indeed. that? Yes,
1: it's 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 a different Groundhog Day, isn't it?
2: It's a different Groundhog Day. We're still in lockdown, but lockdown's beginning to ease. It's like so lockdown light. We're lockdown light, but I'm still in lockdown and uh, doing the show remotely from down in the Bay Area. Right. Now, this was, of course, another huge week in technology, as it always is. But the biggest news is SpaceX is going to launch uh oh, to in space today. It's scheduled for 1228. It had been delayed from Wednesday because of weather. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll talk a bit about that and why that's such a great innovative program that NASA has put together. Now, we're also going to feature today uh, how to look better on Zoom calls because now that's the new norm. You get video conferencing with Zoom calls, and I'm telling you, I'm looking at people on Zoom meetings. They look like zombies, yeah. and it's all about bad lighting. And I'm going to talk about how to set up your Zoom call so you can look like a model w- during the call. Uh, we're also going to have some fun talking about um, fast charging. You know, they all these cell phones have fast charging circuits, fast charging techniques. I'm going to explain what that really is. And how you can take advantage of it Mm. uh, and give you some just some of the facts on it. And uh, for instance, uh, you can't use an old charging block, an old USB charging block, because it can't put out enough power to do fast charging. So you got to upgrade everything. And um, today we're going to feature the man who developed an online learning management system called Moodle modular object oriented. Dynamic Learning Environment, M O O D L E. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're using that. I'm going to feature him today because Stratford, in all of their online programs, uses the Moodle platform. We've been using Moodle for years, and it's a piece of open source software that this guy developed at, down in Australia. It's just an interesting story. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Uh, we got an email from uh, Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim, and the irreplaceable Mr. Big Voice. I oh, do he love these- be replaced. Oh, well, and he doesn't think so. <laughs> I do love these special Groundhog Day lockdown editions of Tech Talk. <laughs> they have their own special charm about them. You're like, when <laughs> the so goes,
1: like when the signal goes kaplooey and we lose you.
2: Exactly. And the gray hair sprouts out of my that. head exactly (laughs) well last last week i was playing with my laptop as i was talking and i put it in airplane mode (laughs) the
1: tech guy put it in airplane mode
2: i put it in airplane mode which of course cuts off the wi-fi so immediately i was off the air and i had to i had to figure out how to get it back uh back into normal mode took me about three minutes to get that back Mm -hmm. up and running uh well this uh Uh, Bob likes to say, I love to tell everyone to leave me alone and don't bother me on Saturday mornings, and I put down everything and listen carefully (laughs) to my three buddies on Tech Talk. We got Uh, him fooled. That's right. Now, now you might recall uh, that... That I spent a bit time, a bit time at a bit of time at Bell Labs. This is Bob in from Maryland, mm-hmm. and I got to know some of the some of the guys there, and particularly one of the math guys there. And he was recently giving a um, a computer talk. His name was Hamming. Now he left there long ago, but uh, but he mentions a lot of other people that could be interesting options for profiles in IT. And I thought you'd like to listen to that video. All the best. Love the show. Bob in Maryland. I
1: think Bob well, wants Bob, to be put on retainer. Is what this is that's, all about.
2: I think so. Well, Hamming uh, at Bell Labs. His name's Richard Hamming, by the way, and he developed the Hamming code, which is used for error correction in messages sent over the internet. See, because the internet's it's kind of a lossy transmission medium, and and they and it was designed to recover on its own. So whenever you send a packet, it's received at the other end. There's this little error correction code at the at the back end, and it can do a calculation to see whether the packet has changed. And if the packet has changed, it will request a retransmission. That way, you have error-free packets at the at the receiving end. And so Hamming developed that code. So I think Richard Hamming would be a great guy for profiles in IT. Maybe I'll do him next week. Uh, we got an email from Tulk in Virginia Beach. Dear Doc and Jim, we have several computers in our home Recently, I've seen this booklet in my home, Spy PC 7.0 Quick Start Guide. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind if somebody, you know, spies on their own computer, but I don't want to be spying on my computer. Right. Is there any way that this Spy PC 7.0 could be installed on my machine even though it's password locked? I'm worried. Took in Virginia Beach well took the short answer is yes they could install it uh and you are you're right to be concerned if they're looking at that maybe they're going to spy on everybody in the whole house so i think but there's an important lesson here for for everyone if in fact look your computer is not physically secure then it's not secure and if you're away from your machine any length of time while you're logged in of course the door's wide open now if you're not there and you're logged out, or your, or it's password protected. Anyone can actually get into your machine. All they need is a bootable disk or a bootable USB drive, and they simply reboot the machine on either from either the USB drive or from the um, the disk drive. And if they reboot the machine, they they of course are in their own operating system, and they bypass all of your security lockdowns, and they have total access to all the data on your computer. They also have the ability, by the way, to install any program they would like, which, of course, could be SPY PC 7.0. So, in fact, if you have not secured your computer, it is not really secure from that. So, you want to keep your machine locked in a cabinet or in a room, that they can't get into when it's not in use now you might consider adding a bios password because that way if they reboot the machine when it boots up in the when it boots up the bios basic input output system b-i-o-s when it boots up the bios it and if there's a password on it they can't go any further without that password so a uh, a BIOS password would actually stop anybody from from you know booting on a on, on a USB drive or a disk drive. You could also, if you want further level of security, you could actually encrypt your hard drive and put a password on it. So then, when they want to access the password, there's a second password they need to get access to the hard drive. And uh, or you could also take, if you have very critical data, you could actually encrypt those files directly if you wanted to. But I think the number one thing that you need to do is change roommates. <laughs> now we got, a, <laughs> we got an email from Kim in Cleveland. Dear Tech Talk, I'm using a well-known IP changer program, and it gives me a different IP address, and it says that I'm in the Netherlands or Russia or the U.S. Now, what exactly does my own ISP see when I use this program? Can they see that, uh, can they tell that I'm downloading stuff? Can they see how much I'm downloading? Uh, um, what, what can my ISP see about this thing? Can, uh, I want to understand more about these IP changing services. I need you to explain the process. I'm somewhat confused. Well, Kim in Cleveland, uh, I think you don't quite understand what's going on. ISP is your internet service provider. They give you an address for the internet called your IP address. And so whenever they assign that IP address to you and that's your address, if anybody sends a message back to you, they sent it to that IP address, it knows to come to your computer. Now, people can tell that that IP address was assigned by your Internet service provider. Your Internet service provider has a log of who they assigned that IP address to. So technically, then, anybody could find out who you were just with the IP address if they could get cooperation from from your Internet service provider. Now, the service you're talking about is uh, not an IP changer service. It's actually a virtual private network, a VPN. Now, what that means is a VPN is set up in a certain way that you're using a proxy server. So what you do, if you set up a VPN, you set up a connection between your computer and a proxy server on the Internet. And that that data link between your computer and the proxy server is encrypted so nobody could see what's traffic's going through there then the proxy server on your behalf makes the request to go to a particular website so they're a proxy for your web requests now it looks like that the website that you're connecting to the ip address that they see is the ip address of the proxy server so they cannot see your ip address so if you have a proxy server that's in the netherlands they think you're in the netherlands or if you're in uh, in uh, in any other country you could be there so i mean i use expressvpn all the time and when i travel internationally many of the uh, say streaming services won't let me stream music or videos to these countries so I log in with my VPN to New York, they think I'm in New York City, and then I can watch my shows. And I'm not really breaking any rules, because those are it's my streaming service, and I'm paid for it, I'm not doing anything else. Now, what what can your ISP see, actually? Well, they can tell that you've connected to a, uh, uh, a VPN or a proxy server, because they can see you're going to a particular website address when you make that connection, and they know the uh, website addresses of all of the VPN. So they can tell you're on a VPN. They cannot tell what the traffic between you and your proxy server is because that's an encrypted data link. However, if you're doing something like downloading a bunch of movies illegally using some of these uh, services, and all of a sudden you get this huge download volume, your ISP can tell how much you're downloading. So they know how much you're downloading. They know you're connected to the VPN, but that's about it. And so, um, uh, so that's your story. And I, I think uh, if you want to keep your location hidden, I think it's wise to use a VPN. We got an email from Conrad in Philadelphia. Dear Tech Talk, I was recently let go and I'm looking for a job. I'm using LinkedIn to find another job. Now, is this LinkedIn premium worth it? I mean, they keep wanting to sell me an upgrade, but, you know, I'm using a free LinkedIn. It seems good enough, but maybe I could do better with a LinkedIn upgrade. Well, um, Conrad, LinkedIn is the largest career service social media website. It's free to anybody to use and a lot of features uh, that, that you can use just free but there are enhanced features that they you can use uh, uh with uh, with additional monthly payments and the the annual price the annual price range for these things goes from $29 a month to $99 a month depending uh, on uh depending on what what level of service you want and there's basically a one-month free trial available for all of them so you could you could give them a shot to see if you like it and then just as long as you cancel it within one month it doesn't cost you anything now you could get the premium career plan now that's around $29.99 a month and that's for people who are job hunting and you want to contact hiring managers so um it, it it allows you to um to see who's looking at your Your page you can get the details on them it allows you three in-mails you see you can only send an email to somebody who's in your in your circle of contacts Uh, but if you want to contact a hiring manager that's outside of your circle of contacts you have to use in-mail when you have to pay for that and you you can buy tokens for in-mails but you get three free in-mails there so I think if you're looking for a job, this premium career is a pretty good bet, $29.99. And you could certainly try it for less than 30 days and it wouldn't cost you anything. Then you've got the premium business. Now that's at $47.99. That's for company owners. And that's for people that, and they, that's for companies that want to promote their brand on LinkedIn. And so it, it, it allows you to, uh, you know to you know to do marketing you get 15 in mail message credits with that you can locate potential partners you can promote your brand and so for businesses that want to use linkedin as an advertising venue premium business is not a bad deal now for people that want to sell on the internet the sales navigator that starts at 64.99 a month and that's you can generate sales you can build lists you can you can there's a lead builder uh, access that you've got where you can build lists of people you want to contact and you get up to 20 messages a month there to people outside of your network and then the most expensive one is for recruiters recruiter light that lets you and that's for headhunters and recruiters and that lets you do really thorough searches on the internet and search profiles that are outside of your sphere of contacts in that case you get 30 uh, in mail so uh, so actually, uh, I think in your case, this premium career is probably your best bet, and I would give it a shot for less than a month and if you think it's useful and you just it's a, it's a month by month. But I, I'd say for people looking for jobs, it's not a bad deal. Uh, we got an email from John in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, my computer says that I need to be an administrator to perform a task, but I already am the administrator. Yeah. Are there any ideas as to why this is happening, John, in Baltimore? Well, John, okay, you may think you're the administrator uh, of your computer, but your computer, your Windows machine, by default, does not log you in as administrator. It logs you in as not being administrator, even though your account is administrator, has administrative uh, rights. Now, the reason it does that is purely for security reasons. You see, if you would go to, say, a malware site and they would hack into your computer and start running, executing code, if you were the administrator, that malware would have access to your entire computer. It could be a disaster and they could do things that only administrators should do. But if you are not operating as an administrator and you get malware, your computer, is, has only has only the rights that your account has, so you're much safer. So Windows decided that it's much safer to have people, when they're doing their regular business, not being an administrator. Now, if you try to do something that requires administrative rights, um, uh, you will. There will be a user account control panel that pops up. And it says, if you want to do this as administrator, give me the password. So you'll have to either put in your, your PIN number or your password again to verify that you are who you are. And then you will run that particular process as an administrator. Oh, or else other programs do it a different way. You can right-click on the program you want to open up. And in the little drop-down menu, there's, there's an op- the option that says run as administrator. And if, you, if your basic account uh, is set up with administrative rights, you'll be able to do that and you can run it as an administrator. So what they're doing, you normally are not an administrator, but if you want to be administrator for a particular program, you can do that. I think this is the best trade off for security. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at talk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back with you as soon as we can.
1: It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If you want to learn more about the programs at Stratford University, just go to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Martin Dugiamas. Now, Martin Dugiamas is the founder and lead developer of the Moodle open-source learning management system, Moodle. He developed this using the the scripting language, PHP, that we've talked about before on the show. Martin was born August 20th, 1969, in Perth, Australia. But he grew up in a very deserted area in Western Australia. If you've been to Western Australia, you go out to Western Australia. I have not been. I have not been
1: to Eastern Australia or Central Australia either.
2: It's dry and deserted. And so there was no facility out there even for any basic education, no grade Mm -hmm. school, no high school, nothing. He was out in the boonies. So he received his primary education at his home and studied from materials that were dropped by, by airplane. He joined the Kalgoorlie, Kalgoorlie, Kalgoorlie school of the air, which was (laughs) under distance education. Now there were four or five other youths in sort of the general area. and They all studied together. Their teacher was 600 miles away, and they would uh, email their teacher. I don't. I don't think they had Skype back then. Uh, they would email their teacher, and uh, the airplane would drop off their materials, their study materials, every two weeks. You know, and and the normal you know resupply flights that came out to Western Australia. Mm-hmm. So he became very interested in wireless technology and internet technologies because he was so dependent on them out there in the boonies now a few years uh later after he um, you know he was only out in the uh, in the boonies for a few years and his family decided to move back to perth so they moved back to perth and then dugi Dug- joined the western Balkata primary school and he went to the Balkata senior high school there and uh you know he did he did okay, but he was really interested in wireless and internet technology. So he just kept learning. At age seventeen, he got a job at Curtin University. He wasn't a, a student there yet, and he was teaching the staff how to use various applications on the internet and how to use various computer applications. So he became a computer resource guy for Curtin University. Now, when he finally did become a student at Curtin University at age eighteen. Uh, the university had installed a, uh, a brand new learning management system, WebCT. I remember that WebCT. Stratford used to we used WebCT before we got Moodle, huh. and it was uh, it was one of the first learning management systems at the time, and uh, uh, and Dougie was asked to improve its c- capacity. Now WebCT is not is not open source uh, at all. It's it's proprietary, and you you have to license it. And so, and so he was asked to improve its functionalities and his experience, he felt was not very pleasant because the software had so many restrictions and so many intellectual property rights that he couldn't modify it the way he wanted to modify it. And he had, and it was really hard to, to work around. He just got, he just didn't like using proprietary software for online education. Uh, he, um, and so that's motivated him, actually, to start developing his own open source distance education platform. Now, at uh, in, in, uh, he, he then was, uh, you know, he started Moodle. He started actually working on Moodle in 1999 out of his frustration with the WebCT online platform. Uh, and, uh, and he started also working on a set of online tools for distance education outside of webCT he was trying to develop workarounds outside of webCT so he started working on this collection of tools for for distance education and those tools as it turned out became part of his PhD dissertation when, when he ultimately got his PhD he was initially just working on his bachelor's degree so he ended up getting a um, bachelor's and master's from uh, and Ph.D. from uh, the university, and his Ph.D. dissertation was dealt with distance education. Now, in in 1999, he started working on Moodle, but he was still the WebCT, you know, manager, and he was, you know, he was doing a lot of work there at the university. In 2001, he decided he wanted to devote full time to his studies, and particularly to his, uh, you know, to his um, development of more tools. So he actually got a scholarship to work on his Ph.D. there at Curtin University. And so he uh, he resigned his job in 2001 and he took his Ph.D. scholarship and he wanted to spend more time on e-learning and Moodle. Now, Moodle was released as a public alpha version November of 2001 and a more more usable uh, version version 1.0 was released August 20th 2002 now the first site that was developed by Mo- for moodle was uh, was run by Peter Taylor he was an instructor there at Curtin University and he was he was he was you know he was one of the um, beta testers of, the, of Moodle Moodle is M O O D L E uh, modular, object-oriented, dynamic learning environment. That's what it stands for. It's a very, it's kind of a cute name. By the by, the end of the year, Moodle was available for downloads to everyone. In 2003, Moodle became a community-based software, and the first uh, module was released as open source for, and you, as open source that year on Moodle.org. He decided, he was so fed up with uh, WebCT that he wanted Moodle to be open source. Um, Now, Moodle has been translated into over 70 languages. It's the dominant learning management system in the world. In early 2003, he launched commercial services on Moodle.com, to cope with many requests for hosting consulting and other services required by Moodle users because because you have to ask the question he he created this open source software which he gives away for free so how does he make any money because you can't you can't sell the software right. people get it free so what it turns out that schools would need to install Moodle configure Moodle optimize the Moodle delivery system, and that required consulting. And so he started doing consulting, and so that he would do basically Moodle support out of Moodle.com, which was his company, and he would charge the companies for the support. They get the software free, but the configuration, the support, and all of that, and the hosting, he also hosted instances of Moodle. They would pay for that. So he made money on the edges of Moodle, but the core software was absolutely free. By 2015, Moodle became the most used learning management system in the world with 70,000 registered sites. That means 70,000 schools were using it in 222 countries worldwide. By 2017, it had over 100 million registered users. So it just took the education world by storm. Actually, we love Moodle. It was written in PHP, and so, we've actually taken and configured our Moodle quite uh, quite extensively. Uh, the way when we do the mo- when we do configuration of our Moodle platform, we go through the APIs, application programming inter- interfaces. So we do add-ons through that. That way, whenever our Moodle instance is upgraded, since the APIs remain constant, the modifications that we make to the Moodle program work through upgrades. If you go in and hack the code and don't go through the apis then the next upgrade comes along all of your improvements are broken because you know because you've because the basic the core basic the the basic code has been changed and you're not going through the standardized APIs. so we we worked with some uh, very excellent uh, developers in new delhi india who were certified moodle developers and they developed our additions through the through the uh, through the official programming APIs. By the way, they were one of the 80 companies which supports Moodle.com. There are 80 certified developers, Moodle certified developers around the world. They pay a certain amount of money each year to Moodle.com in order to maintain their certification, and that's one way that uh, Martin Dougiamas makes money. Now, Martin Dougiamas is still the lead developer for Moodle, and all the releases for the Moodle software released on Moodle.org. That's the nonprofit organization. That's with the open source, and he's got a version management system. He invites people from all over the world to contribute to the code. He is CEO of Moodle.com, and that's where he makes money. And he's not really in it for the money, but, but you've got to live. Uh, Moodle.com has 45 employees worldwide. they got branches in Australia, in Spain, in Canada, in the UK. And uh, the company's financed, as I said before, a network of 80 certified companies. Martin received the Google O'Reilly Award in 2008 for the best education enabler. And if you want to see some of his writings, you can go to dugayamas.com. Dougiamas.com is his personal website, and it's just interesting to see his insights about where, you know, online education is going to be going in the future. I I think Moodle has probably had a huge expansion over this lockdown because so many schools are going to purely online now. So there's everything you needed to know about Martin Dougiamas, the developer of the Moodle learning management system
1: hope you are paying attention because you can take the knowledge you just gained and turn it into free food eventually by <laughs> playing the pop quiz coming up here on federal news network tech talk radio we're heard on 1500 am 1035 fm hd2 1039 fm hd2 and in loudon county on 104.5 fm learn more about the programs at stratford university by going to stratford.edu
3: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, you can, you can sit down now, you can sit down they in virtual, virtual living rooms now, and uh, of course this is not simply a radio show, this is a classroom of the airways, and we have to test whether... The class has been listening. We do, we do that with our pop quiz. You get the right answer to the pop quiz. You'll get uh, tickets to fine dining, plus you'll get an A-plus for today's show. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Martin Duguyama. He, of course, is the creator of the Moodle learning management system. What got him interested in distance education and motivated him to go Moodle? Oops, sorry about that. Well, it's campers,
3: okay. it's that time. If you know the answer to today's question, pick up your phone, give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of the Lobster Trap in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're airdropping educational materials from your airplane in, get it up. Call us on the wildcard line. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the international line. It's Ajax approved. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. All right. All right, you know, Zoom
2: conferencing has been, video conferencing has taken the world by storm as people are locked in at home trying to communicate with each other. Now, the problem is, People look like zombies when they do these video conferencing, this video conferencing. And so the question is, how can you look better? I mean, I was looking at our studio audience and our virtual faculty. I'm telling you, we got a bunch of zombies listening to us, Jim. They need to improve their video.
1: It is, you know, Saturday morning, and who knows what they were doing last night.
2: Well, that's true. So I'm going to give a few pointers on how to look like a model in your video conference. (laughs) First of all, Lighting is critical. Yes. You do not want to sit in front of a window and have backlighting. So your face is all a shadow and you've got this bright background. That is the worst. Now, you don't want an overhead light. There's nothing worse to make you look like Dracula than to have lighting come down from uh, uh, over your head. The best lighting is from a window. It's right in front of you. So if you want the best lighting possible and it's daytime, sit Facing the window and that will be ideal light. That's natural light. That's when I used to take portraits. I I love to take portraits, photographic portraits. I would always take natural light in front of a window. You get the best shadowing. I'm telling you. Second thing. Camera angle is everything. If you want to make somebody look mean, you have a low camera angle coming up at them and they're above the, they're above the camera they look mean. There's no way. There's no way you can look good with a low camera angle.
1: And when you get to uh, be our age, it shows everything that's under your chin, and you don't want that to be seen.
2: That is exactly right. And so you need to get the right camera angle. The camera should be at eye level. So what you have to do is you're going to, ha- if you if you're using the camera on your laptop, you can get a laptop stand, mm-hmm. or a phone what I book. do, a phone book just a stack of books, you have to tilt it a little bit and you get the get the camera right at eye level. That's going to be for the best look. Now, what you want to do though is you want to look at the camera. Now, if you have to use your laptop while you're talking, you might want to get an external or a wireless keyboard and attach it, you know, and link it to your laptop so you can have your laptop there at a distance and you can still type on the computer. Right. It may even be better to get a separate camera and put it on a small tripod and connect it to the USB port in your laptop and don't use the laptop camera and because
1: that might be even an even better quality camera than what's in the laptop, right?
2: It would be a much better quality camera. The laptop cameras tend not to be very good quality. You could get a much higher resolution and a much uh, much better dynamic range picture if you had your own and you could get it on a tripod then that way you could just leave your laptop alone and just have it on a tripod sitting on the table right now the, the second thing is the finally you want to look at the screen now and and you want to keep avoid don't look at yourself you know how there's all this little picture of you in the, in the video conference You're best you're better off getting the picture of you just sort of take it out of the way so you don't keep looking at it trying to adjust your hair you just <laughs> want to look at the screen uh, as though you're talking directly to, to the, to the audience. And, uh, cause eye contact is extremely important. I just hate watching somebody at a video conference They're always looking down and they never look, look up and look at what I feel looking at me. Now, the final thing you want to do to get a great, um, to get a great video conference, you got to have enough connection speed. If you don't have a good connection speed, it, your, your picture doesn't look good. Now it turns out that for one-on-one calls, you need at least one point, Eight megabits per second up and down for one one-on-one calls if if you've got a group video you need at least 2.5 megabits per second up and down in order to get good video quality now i've got a, a program on my computer speed test so i run speed test so you can you can download speed test on your computer you can run it it'll tell you what your up speed up up uh, speed and down speed is quite easily up uh, there's one other point if you've got kids in the house, don't let them watch Netflix while you're on your oh, video conference. It yeah. eats up all the bandwidth. Yes. Get, get everybody off the internet while you're doing your critical call. So if you take all of these th- three things, four things into account, you will look like a model on your Zoom connection.
1: The other thing that I, I've seen recently, if windows aren't an option, and you're right, because if you shoot with the window behind you, it's going to make a mess out of what you're doing, right?
2: Yeah, it does. But there's, there's you you can't fight the light. Have
1: you seen um, ring lights? <laughs> no. You know what I'm talking about? They they're, they they are they almost look like a makeup mirror without the mirror. It's a it's a it's a circular. Um, Uh, Fluorescent filament plugs into this this desk stand type device, and you you should sit it behind, you know, uh, pointed at your face. And apparently a lot of network TV people are using it, and they look really good, and it's a cheap alternative. You can find them on Amazon.
2: So that's that that's, is a that's a great uh, it's great because if you, if you don't have a window for natural lighting you, you might want another source of direct light right exactly at your face.
1: yeah that's that's but but the, the whole light behind you thing is is definitely a a very bad idea guess it what doc we have somebody on the phone who'd like to okay. play the game All right, so we're going to do this turn that down a <laughs> bit. right there there we go and we're going to go to line one. And this is Lewis calling from Rockville. Lewis, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, sir. How are you? Doing well. Dr. Schertz, go ahead good and Good morning, Lewis. Questions.
2: Yeah. Early in the show, I talked about Martin Dugiamas. What motivated him to set up or to create the Moodle learning management system?
0: He was living in the uh, West of Australia.
1: Right. I think we'll go with that. Lewis, thanks a lot. Hang on a second. Very We're going to send you back Andrew. He'll take your information, and uh, we'll get the prize right out to you. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM 2, 1039 FM 2, 104.5 FM in Loudoun County. On the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Shirts of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Observations from the bunker.
1: Wow you really are locked down, aren't you?
2: I am locked in this bunker I'm telling you and it's you know it forces you to think when you get in its isolation off by yourself <laughs> but you know I'm not the only one thinking about what's meaningful in life Jeff Bezos the cre- the uh, the founder of Amazon has had similar thoughts and you know he's patiently built a company there at Amazon creating a real flywheel as they say he's um, you know he's turned internal initiatives like, like web services into a $17 billion operation with Amazon web services. He knows how to hire the right people. He knows how to make great business decisions, but he said, you know, cleverness only gets you so far. He said he is clever, but he says you got to do a lot more than being clever if you want to be successful. And he said, the key is when you're 80 years old and you look back on your life, will you have any regrets and you need to operate your life as a way to make certain that you'll have no limited regrets, no regrets going on. So we started thinking about, well, what what was important to him and why how did he organize his life as he was sort of valuing what he had done and what he will do going forward? So number one, he says, let will inertia be your guide, or will you follow your passions? You know, sometimes people get stuck in a particular job and they just well, they just stay there even though they hate it. And they never really follow their passion. And at 80 years old, they're going to regret that. So he says, don't, don't let inertia slow you down. Go after your passions and you'll be happier in the long run. Will you follow dogma? In other words, will will do what everybody does or will you be an original? So you don't have to go down the beaten path. Take your own path. It's really important to not get lulled into doing what everybody else does. Try to be an original. Will you choose a life with ease or will you choose a life with service and adventure? So push yourself. Don't take the easy way. You're going to do stuff that's uncomfortable, but in the long run you'll be happier. Will you wilt under criticism or will you follow your own convictions? Uh, And he says, you know, he believes that no matter how much the criticism that you receive is, If you're following your passion, and if you've chosen a route that makes sense, just go for it. Ignore the critics. It's easier said than done, but he says, you've got to do that. Will you bluff your way out of a situation where you're absolutely wrong, or will you apologize? And he says, look, if you make a mistake, admit it, apologize, and move on. Will you guard your heart against rejection, or will you follow it when you fall in love? So, you know, follow your passion there, too, as well as in work. Will you play it safe or will you be just a little bit swashbuckling, (laughs) as he says? Pirate reference. I like that swashbuckling. Yeah. Uh When it's tough, will you give up or will you be relentless to the end? Will you have that determination, that stick to this to get it done? Will you be a cynic? saying everything that's wrong with the world or will you be a builder trying to fix what's wrong and make it right will you be clever at the expense of others or will you be kind now this is a great list he you know he obviously had thought this through in his bunker during this <laughs> lockdown period i
1: bet his bunker's is a little nicer than yours
2: i think so he probably has i'd, I'd say his i'd say his Doors don't squeak like ours. Don't
1: squeak again. and he may actually have room <laughs> service.
2: That's right. Now, But this is a hard list. I mean, for instance, just ignoring criticism and following your conviction. I mean, that's easier said than done, but he said that's essentially. If you really want to start a business, and you can do that in a few hours, some people might say you're crazy, especially now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back to school, some people might think you're crazy, especially now. But if you really want to do it, just do it. If you really want to open a restaurant, some people will definitely think you're crazy now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. You Don't let the naysayer stop you from doing what you'd want to really do with your life. Because at 80, when you look back, you'll wonder what could have been. Mm-hmm. Now, research shows that it, the the most likely regret that people have is that they didn't reach their full potential because they ne- never really ran for the goalposts. They just played it safe. They just played it safe and didn't get out there for the big pass. You will never regret trying something that didn't work out, but you'll always regret never trying something that could have worked out.
1: Oh, well, you know, you learn from your mistakes if you're lucky,
2: right? That's right. it's right. that, exactly right. But the one mistake you can't fix in a lifetime is if you've never done something, you cannot get back the time. That's correct. That's a mistake you just can't fix. That's correct. So I'm telling you, so ask yourself the Bezos questions when you're holed up in your bunker. And you might avoid the one big mistake that you cannot fix, which would be not reaching your full potential. And you can do that starting today.
1: Hey, you want to just stay here and and just keep on going to the end of the show? Let's do that. Yeah, I'd
2: love to. Okay. Okay. I'd love to. Have you heard of, you've heard about this fast charging network, you know, fast yeah. charging, you know, all the cell phones have fast chargers on them now. They've got fast charging circuits. Uh, let's talk a little, bit, a little bit about what that means and uh, and how you can make certain that you're charging fast. Now, the reason they're doing that is because, you know, cell phones are getting bigger and bigger and we're using them more and more often. And you, and you really, you might have to charge it up sometime during the day and you'd like to be able to just put it on to charger for an hour or so and get up to 80%. You'd like a fast charge. You don't want to have to leave it there for four hours. And so, so companies are advertising like 80% charge in 30 minutes or full charge in less than an hour uh, as marketing. And this is all the fast charge, fast charge operation. So let me let, before we get into this, I'm going to talk a little a bit of basics, a typical USB port, uh, actually OP delivers 2.5 watts of power. If, if, if you take a USB 2.0 connection and you plug a device into it, it's going to deliver 2.5 watts per hour. And, uh, and that's really not enough power to actually charge things up. Now, for instance, most of the fa- fast-charging bricks, as they say, bricks or, or, or power supplies, yep. have at least 15 watts. Now, some manufacturers have got 50 watts, 80 watts, or 100 watts chargers are available. And so if you've got one of these old power sources with a USB port, you're never going to get more than 2.5 watts. Now, here's how you can figure out how many many watts your charger has. It turns out that watts is the current times the voltage, current times the voltage. So a typical 15-watt charger would would deliver 3 amps at 5 volts, 3 amps at 5 volts 3 times 5 is 15, is 15 watts. Now, these fast chargers, they operate in um, three stages. The first stage is a constant current stage where it delivers constant current and the voltage changes, and it does that during the stage up to about 80%. Now, the reason it gives constant current, you don't want to have constant voltage because you might be putting too much current in the device in the beginning and that could damage the device. So you want to put maximum allowable current in the device and you simply adjust the voltage to maintain constant current. Stage 2 is saturation. Now this is when the current drops no matter how much voltage you have it, you you discharge lower. That that happens around, you know, around 80%, 90% and then the last stage is trickle. It's fully charged and you just trickle in a little bit power and kind of top it up. Now the problem with USB 2.0, they only deliver two, 2.5 watts. So they had to come up with a new standard for USB. So all of the fast charging devices now have USB-PD. PD stands for power delivery. And USB-PD, actually that standard can deliver up to 100 watts, which would really charge quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's it's going to turn out, the good news is that all USB 4.0 devices uh, Devices will support USB PD. USB 3.0 devices do not, and so you've got to look for that PD label. So then there are a number of, um, of approaches to doing this thing. Like Qualcomm has the Quick Charge chipset, so a lot of the uh, a lot of the cell phones have the Qualcomm Quick Charge set in them, uh, and that supports a maximum charge output power of 100 watts. Samsung's got adaptive fast charge. Uh, that's got a maximum power output of, of 18 watts. OnePlus has got warp charging, and that, that supports devices up to 30 watts. Now, it turns out all of the, the big cell phone companies like Apple, LG, and Samsung, they support either the usb power delivery, USB-PD, or the Qualcomm, Qualcomm Quick Charge, but the one lesson that you have from this, if you want to take advantage of the quick charge, you can't use an old USB charger from an old phone because it's only going to put out two right. and a half watts. Exactly. So there you go. That's about all you wanted to know about That's, <laughs> Power well, that's charging.
1: It's important information. I mean, it's, 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 it'd be, I mean, people buy these things, and you, and you think you know, a lot of folks find the cheapest thing that you can find on Amazon or wherever, and they are all definitely not the same device.
2: No, that's exactly right. Now I'm Jim. I'm really excited. Today is SpaceX's Demo Two launch.
1: This is gonna be great.
2: Yeah, that is I'm really excited about. Weather permitting, Fal- the Falcon Nine rocket will make another attempt to launch two NASA sat- uh, astronauts into space. Now the the launch is scheduled today, uh, May thirtieth at twelve twenty two p.m.
3: That's Pacific. And
2: uh, twelve no t- no twelve twenty two. Pacific time three twenty two.
1: Yes, three. Yeah, Eastern 322 time. Yeah, twelve. Time,
2: yes, twelve twenty two Eastern Eastern Daylight Savings time. Twelve twenty two Eastern time. No, it's going to be sitting the 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 two saddle the two astronauts they, they 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 attempted this on last Wednesday or Thursday and it was and they and they uh, thunderstorms actually forced them to cancel you the know, uh, the flight.
1: The the explanation I heard was that there was so much so much that the activity the atmosphere was so active was so dense that they were afraid they were going to spark lightning by, by launching the thing.
2: That's exactly right. The atmosphere was too charged. There were mm-hmm. there are a lot of thunder clouds there, and those clouds actually generate static electricity. Mm-hmm. So they so they called the thing off. So the Falcon Nine rocket will launch from the Kennedy Space Center uh, in Florida. It'll carry two astronauts. This will be the first time in nine years that the U.S. Has, that the U.S. has launched astronauts from U.S. soil. And I, I remember the last launch. Uh, I went down to Florida to watch the last launch, made a big trip down there. It was going to be a big deal. Yeah. And, uh, I got down there and the launch was canceled. So in the end, <laughs> and it was, I, I mean, I had to, I had to come back home. I had tickets and everything. So I didn't actually see the launch, even though I was at Kennedy center for, for the launch that didn't occur when uh, I went this, to this.
1: This is a manned launch that you went to watch.
2: Yes. The last man launch. 18 it, years ago, la- wasn't it? Yeah. No, this was the wasn't eighteen years ago. No, 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 it was the it was the last launch of the of the shuttle.
1: Oh, the last launch was, of the shuttle. Okay,
2: of the shuttle, and that was like um, a, a, nine nine years ago. Now, uh, now this now SpaceX has been using the Falcon Nine rocket to launch cargo for, for quite a few times. They've made. Uh, They've made uh, multiple cargo runs up to the International Space Station. So the SpaceX Crew Dragon, that's where it is. the human transportation version of the Dragon 2 capsule, which has been used for cargo. It will carry only two astronauts, but it can be configured to carry up to seven astronauts. Now, the Falcon 9 rocket will launch them into space. Falcon 9s have launched successfully dozens of SpaceX Cargo missions in the past. Now, this Falcon 9 is a reusable booster. So it'll go up and then it will be, it will be, it will land on a SpaceX drone ship stationed in the Atlantic Ocean. So this actually dramatically reduces the cost of launch because they can reuse the booster, which is one of the major expenses. And, and Elon Musk and SpaceX demonstrated this, much to the chagrin of the rest of the space. Agency group who said it couldn't be done, so Elon Musk just didn't listen to the naysayers as um, Bezos recommended. Right, yeah. Now, I've got a NASA TV application on my in my Apple TV, so I'm going to watch the live coverage on NASA TV. It actually started today at eight at eight a.m.
1: with the countdown go, beginning.
2: with With the countdown beginning on NASA TV, as soon as Tech Talks over, I'm turning on NASA TV <laughs> and. Um, and, there, and you'll get to see all the back end stuff. You see a lot more on NASA T V than than you actually see. You just watch the, the coverage. They just they just show the launch. Where
1: do you get that now, app? NASA, You say it's on Netflix?
2: Or where, where No you... NASA NASA TV is an app that I download oh, a, okay. into my into Apple T V. You, oh, you can get you. NASA TV. It's it's an app that you, can, that, you can, that you can download on a smart T V. If you got That's any it. any smart TV you can download the app. NASA TV, it's a free application. Now, NASA awarded the Commercial Crew Program contract to SpaceX and Boeing in 2014. And this was an attempt to try to get a government-private partnership. And this has been extremely, extremely successful. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at at Stratford.edu. and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we'd also like you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu, and tell them you heard about them on Tech Talk Radio.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.